If you look at our logo at Riverside Presbyterian Church with the tree planted by streams of water with Psalm 1 under it, you know that that psalm is basically Riverside's fight song, like trees planted by streams of water who bear fruit in good season. And if that's our fight song, then our alma mater is the 150th psalm. The first is our fight. The last is when we all stand and give great thanks. The 150th psalm of praise. The psalms are the songbook in the Bible. It is the largest book in the Bible, and it's found right in the middle. If you open up the Bible without the Apocrypha, you'll open up to the psalms, and that's for good reason. For these songs were the the centerpiece around which all worship gathered, not only in the days of Israel 4,000, 3,000, 2,000, 1,000 years ago, but in our day as well. May God open up to us, therefore, a new understanding of this word as it comes to us from the 150th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. And if we didn't get it, one more. Praise the Lord. I was watching uh, videos on my computer the other day and ran across a small video called an doc op, and it was named Solo Piano. Don't not going to sit down here and start playing as if I'm Andy Clark. But there was a haunting tune uh, that started this video that went something like this. That tune resounded throughout the whole video. Now, to say it was a video is not particularly fair uh, because it was really a compilation of pictures, just shots. And the first shot opens up with that ping, ping in the background with a sidewalk from a second-story apartment in some unnamed street in New York City. And as the picture looks down on the sidewalk, there's an old upright piano there put out for trash. The top of it is off. It's thrown over on top of three or four Christmas trees that are on the side. The piano is beat to death as if someone had dropped it. Several keys were missing. It was a mess. First picture. Second picture is a man walking up to it. And then next frame shows him standing in front of it. Then the next frame shows him punching one of the keys, then another, then he stares at it. Next picture shows him walking back. He gets about 15 feet, he stops, he looks back at it. 
Next picture shows a woman walking her dogs. She walks up, she looks at it. Next picture, finger on the piano. You can't help yourself. Is there any life in it? She hangs around through several frames. She walks off. Again, she stops and looks back at it before she leaves. Picture after picture of people, pedestrians in New York City, walking by this piano, being pulled into it. They cannot help themselves. They stop. They look at it. They revere it. They punch the keys. They move on. They stop. They look back. At one point, six men are there, toboggans, full coats, hanging around. Two of the men are sort of punching the keys. The other four are around the piano as if in some great barroom revelry. They move on, stop, look back, next frame. This goes on all day long, these, these pedestrians. Near the end of the day, a young couple walk up. They stop dead still. They look at it. What's this doing here? Next frame shows her looking closely at it. Then she's kneeling down underneath it to look at it. He's sort of looking a little pensive. Next frame, she's up in his face, obviously negotiating with him that she wants to take it home as if she's just found a lost kitten. You can kind of see he's a little resistant, but he doesn't have a prayer. <laughs> they try to, try to budge it a little as they move it, but it's unmovable. She goes back, she looks at it a while, he looks at it, now he's in the game. And the next picture shows them walking off, and again they stop and look back at it wistfully. And then it's near night, dusk, the pictures fade into darkness, the music stops, there's a moment. And then the light comes, the music begins again, and the next picture, a man walking his two dogs early in the morning, it's the next day. Same thing, pulled into the piano, punching keys, wondering what it's all about. Soon, a car drives up, six men get out, one with a sledgehammer, another a crowbar, and they begin to completely dismantle the piano into smithereens. Apparently they worked for the city, and the city had sent them there knowing that it was too heavy to pick up and put in the dumpster truck. So their job was to demolish it, which they did professionally. Beat it to death. And as they turned this upright piano into dust and ashes, they then picked up the pieces and put them off to the side on a piece of grass that was snow-covered and swept up the debris and moved on. The couple that had decided they wanted the piano the day before are next in the frame. They walk up, each having a flat dolly that they had brought with them in order to put the piano on so they could push it home. And they are absolutely dumbstruck. What happened? And then they see the debris over in this really graveyard-like place, this, this mound of, of what was a piano buried, set apart. And they walk over to it and stand before it, each particular frame with their heads bowed in obvious grief and mourning. Frame after frame after frame, there they stand. And when they're finally through, they turn and look at each other with profound sense of grief and turn and walk away with their, with their uh, rollers. Of course, they can't walk totally away without stopping and looking back one more time. 
Like those New Yorkers who walked by that piano, we too, when looking at this video, are pulled into this story. As you watch the film, you get so pulled in and you ask your own questions. Where did it come from? Whose was it? How did it get there? Is there any life still left in it? The more you look at it, the more pulled in you are. You wonder about where the piano had spent its days, all the different places that it had rested, all the different hands that had learned on it, the different folk who had played it, the different families that gathered around it, or or beer-drinking ballroom revelers who gathered around and sang hymns. You, you start understanding its story. You, you can't figure out what it is, but you know there's something profound there. Every single person who stopped at that piano had that same sense. Think of the hymns, the hits, the songs that this piano played. You think about all the families that sang around it. And you grieve because, like them, you know that something has been lost. You start thinking about the times in your own life when you gathered with family or friends and sang songs with them. You realize how that piano once was the fire around which the whole tribe gathered to tell their stories and to sing their songs. Whenever we visited my Uncle Joe in Opelika, which was always too often, (laughs) we would have this enormous lunch with 56,000 different dishes upon which all of us had to eat of every one, and then we would retire into the living room where Aunt Grace would play their upright piano, and all the family would gather around and sing show tunes. Show tunes really are hymns, you know. Of course, we children didn't know the words, so we would run around and play like we knew what we were doing, but basically we were bored out of our minds. I got to tell you, now I miss it terribly. I'm telling this to you with some fear that you might think I'm making an analogy to Andy's retirement with this piano that has been thrown out of the sidewalk to be demolished and thrown into the dumpster. In fact, nothing is farther from the truth. In the first place, we didn't throw Andy out. It was his choice to leave. And also, it's not the end for him. Now, I made these up. I'm not sure if they're original or not, but they are to me. Old choir directors never die. They just give up their shtick. Old organists never die, they just stop bellowing. (laughs) The choir knows, organs have a bellow that, yeah. Andy Clark is far from stopping his bellowing and has big plans to play around town in places of need and to continue to serve this great city of Jacksonville as he has in the past. Now, the reason I decided to tell you about this video is because it is an important statement about the sea change our way of life has faced in the last couple of generations. Like the demise of that piano, our culture, the way it used to be at least, is becoming extinct. 
People don't gather around to sing songs and tell stories in community anymore, no matter what Facebook might want us to believe. The only place it's done anymore is in church or synagogue, at birthday parties when we sing happy birthday, at sporting events and inaugurations, except, of course, that some people get away with lip syncing. (laughs) What's been lost is our sense of community and the wholesome ways of being family and friends and in fellowship together. I wandered over to our sanctuary Saturday afternoon when I heard that the innards of this amazing Steinway nine-foot grand were now refurbished and being put back into place. And I, and I ran into the uh, organ tuner, a uh, really interesting man named Skip, Hey, Skip, how's it going? Fine. How long have you been doing this? Forty years. Forty years? That's amazing. He said, yep, I'm retired now just as well because there are just not very many pianos left to tune. Nobody's buying them anymore. Really? What's that about? I asked. It's a new world out there, he said. A hundred years ago, I guess this is right, he said it, there were over 300 piano manufacturers. A hundred years ago. Now... In America, there's one, Steinway, and they don't really manufacture new pianos much anymore. They just refurbish the old ones. One Japanese, Yamaha, one Korean, and one Chinese. It's all about technology, he said. Everybody has access now to their own music and entertainment. Before, the piano was the gathering place around which people came together, and now it's just one person with their iPhone and their earpods. Well, I looked it up, and in 1910, we bought 365,000 pianos in a population that was a third the size we are now. And in 2011, we bought 41,000. 365 to 41,000 in 100 years. The 41, not counting the digital keyboards. Now, this documentary I saw revealed the death of this culture around pianos as symbolically as anything I can ever imagine. And just like all those people who wistfully stood before that piano looking at it on the sidewalk in New York City, it also showed how much we wish and want for that sense of community and singing to be alive again. In our heart of hearts, we want it to return because we know that that's what makes us most human. What lifts our hearts and stirs our souls and and, and gathers us together in song and story, in reverence and worship as one people of God. Not alone, but together. This is what worship is about. We sing because we cannot help but sing, even when you have a bad voice. Even when you don't sing, your heart is singing, because in our heart of hearts there rings the heavenly melody. Singing may be the most natural thing we do, as I discovered with my four- or five-month-old granddaughter, who would hum along some song she was listening to, even though it made no sense to anyone else. She was clearly singing way before she's ever uttered a word. To sing is to release the spirit in us, the breath in us, back out 
into the world, the most godly thing there is. To sing is to praise our Creator. It is to be in concert with the stars and the moons, the planets and the suns, as they gather together in their cosmic orbit. Singing singing helps us cope, it gives us courage, it lifts our hearts and strengthens our souls. We sing in the shower and we sing in the rain and when we lose our voice we still keep singing and even when the piano or the piano player goes away to its inevitable end, the music plays on. And the community still gathers around and sings together as we grow stronger. Back to Andy. He has been the music leader in this church for a third of our history, 33 out of 102 years, playing the piano and the organ and gathering our choir and us together in choral music. He has gathered us around the tribal fire of worship to sing songs and praises to God, and he has always done it only for one reason, never for Andy Never as a performance, never as entertainment or sentimental emotionalism, but solely for one reason only, to give praise and glory to God. I had Jenny Bibb look up the statistics. The averages, uh, these are averages, but close enough for church work. Andy has been here a third of our lifespan, and in that time he has played for average 700 funerals, 750 baptisms, 400 weddings, 5,000 hymns, 3,500 anthems, and a host of other functions for and at the school, the house, the apartments, the Rotary Club, parties, and so forth. He has been for us the presence that gathers us in community as we tell our stories and sing our songs as a family of God at Riverside Church. And just like tribes and families have done for generations and generations, he has led us to look outward to something greater than ourselves. We sing the old songs we've always sung, our ancestors sang, the parents and grandparents and great-grandparents sang, and we are even learning to sing new songs that the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are bringing into our fellowship of faith, which is sometimes granted hard on the ancestors until they remember that this is the way it was for them and that all true community is a community that lives in tradition and also lives into change, both new and old together. Yes, change. But in the end, one thing does not and should not. And that one thing is that we continue to gather to tell our stories and sing our songs to praise and glory of God. This will not change because it is God's will for us. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord, the psalm says. This will not change because deep down in our heart of hearts, each one of us hungers for this kind of worship together in community. That's why we're here. This will not change because just as the Bible promises, this is how it all ends. It all ends just like Psalm 150 Everything gathered in song and praise to the glory. Not just Christians, 
Not just people of God, the psalm says. Everyone, everyone, everywhere, in all place and time, forever singing to the glory of God's name. Which, if that sounds like our sanctus at communion, it should. For that's what we sing. Even more than that, the psalm says, not just everyone, but everything that breathes in all creation that was, is, and ever shall be gathered together, singing praises to God. It's how it ends. There's that great scene in the now ancient Walt Disney movie, The Little Mermaid. That will date me. When all the fish and all the clams and sharks and lobsters and the mermaid and the whale, all of them, under the sea. You know the song. <laughs> all in this great underwater concert, singing and dancing. This is, the, this is the point of Psalm 150. The end that it points to. Everything in song and harmony. And it's called doxology. It means praise words, doxology. And the promise the Bible makes is that in the end, all of us and all of them and everything else will be gathered in song around the heavenly throne, praising God with whatever instrument we can make music with, all for one reason, to give thanks. Let us now bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors. <laughs>